And hello and welcome everyone to this week's edition of Novak Now. I'm Jake Novak here on the Nachum Siegel Network. You can catch my Twitter feed anytime you want. At JakeJakeNY is my Twitter handle. And I'm also on Facebook. Most of the stuff I put on Twitter, I also put on my Facebook page, Jake Novak, N-O-V-A-K. And the reason why I am, I, I do this very often anyway, but the reason why I really wanted to start by letting everyone know the Twitter feed is because uh, I'm going to retweet a, a, a thread that I put out earlier uh, in the week. Um, maybe about five days ago, about um, an incredible story out of the Middle East, which for those of you who have been listening to Novak now, uh, since it started uh, something like, I guess, 15 months ago, you were among the first to know about. And what we now have is confirmation of something that I talked about all the way back in July of last year. So it's been almost a year. It was the July 23rd edition of Novak Now. You can go into the Nachum Siegel archives if you go to the NSN archives and go to the Novak Now archives and, and, and check the July 23rd, 2018 show of Novak Now, you'll see that I talked, I, I dedicated the entire program to how much of a game changer the F-35 Joint Strike Stealth Jet Fighter has been, how much of a game changer it's been for the entire Middle East, obviously for Israel, mo- most importantly, and the United States. And... What we've got in just the last few days is confirmation of probably the higher end of estimates that I was talking about, about just how much the F-35 had changed things. You know, we talk about political power, you talk about economic power, and all those things are very, very important. But at times, when, especially in the Middle East, which has been a region racked by war and, and violence uh, all too often... <laughs> It, it really, you know, you cannot underestimate the effect that an individual weapon has, that an individual technology might have, military technology. Because as much as everyone can say on paper, and we know the United States and, and, com- and a country like the Soviet Union, these bigger foreign nations ha- are, are stronger than Middle Eastern countries. We get that. But until a certain weapon that can actually be used effectively in a region gets into play, comes into play, it's hard to actually quantify it and see how that happens. So, again, for those of you who may not remember or weren't listening, in July, on July 23rd last year, I talked about how the F-35, which is a stealth jet fighter, had really, really improved the situation for Israel and the United States in the Middle East because here you had... A jet fighter, not just a, a bomber. You know, for those of you who, who aren't aware of just some of these aeronautical differences, a bomber. We've had the B two stealth bomber, that black jet that looks like the bat, you know, bat, you know Batman's jet. Uh, we've had that for for thirty plus years, and it's a, a very very important weapon that the United States has. A hard to detect by radar bomber jet, bomber that can, you know, really, really get to a target undetected and, and, and do some serious damage. But, folks, it's a bomber. And bombers don't fly super fast. And once they are detected, I mean, the, the, the stealth capacity of these bombers isn't forever. After a while, it can be detected. And if a jet goes up against a bomber of any kind, the jet's going to win. The jet fighter is going to win because it has that, that advantage of speed and it has the advantage of... A, a, a nimble advantage over a slow-moving bomber like that, even even a stealth bomber, but certainly any other kind of bomber. So when they created, when Lockheed Martin created the jet, the stealth jet fighter, the stealth jet fighter, the F-35, 
also known as a joint strike fighter. Uh, people knew it could be a real game changer because now you had a stealth, uh, stealth capacity on a fast-moving jet, fast-moving weapon of war, and it could really change everything. In 2015, to go even further back with my own writing, and I, and I, and I want to make this very clear, I know it sounds hard to believe, but I am not going back about my record on writing about the F-35 to, to, to boast. Um, to me, these were very, very... Uh, my, my goal in writing about the F-35 for all these years and its potential impact had a lot to do with a different goal of mine, which was not self-promotion, but it was the goal of mine to let people know both from folks who were following financial news, which is, of course, one of my ex- you know, areas of expertise and where I, and where I was employed, you know, how I've mostly been employed over the last 20 years, and my air- and, and interest in defense news, and trying to let people know from both from the, a political and a financial point of view how important the F-35 was. So way back in 2015, when I first started writing about the F-35, I noted that the Israelis had reportedly, even before this jet had been put into commission, the Israelis had reportedly doubled the stealth capacity of the F-35. So, of course, Lockheed Martin, an American company, a U.S. company, had created this this stealth fighter. They knew that Israel would be one of its first customers outside of the United States Air Force. So, with, of course, the permission of the United States government, they started to work with the Israelis on and, and giving them some of the design plans and the Israelis were able to double the stealth capacity of that jet fighter. As I wrote in 2015, that was significant because that doubling of the stealth capacity, meaning the, 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 the amount of time that a radar would not be able to pick up this fighter, had been doubled so that now it was very significant because now that meant that theoretically Israel could fly from Israel, Israeli jets, F-35 jets could fly from Israel to Iran and back without having to stop in one of the Arab countries in the middle to refuel, without having to use Iraq or Saudi Arabia to refuel, which at the time, in 2015, was out of the question that that would ever happen. It's still out of the question that that would happen kind of in Iraq. But because of the F-35, as I talked about during the radio show last year, that was a huge reason why Saudi Arabia has warmed up to Israel in in, in that time period. Now, that process, because of the slow-moving process of the Iran nuclear deal, which really started in 2009 with the Obama administration getting elected. During that six-year period between 2009 and 2015 when the deal was sealed, Saudi Arabia started slowly coming closer to Israel for a number of reasons, the biggest reason being that nuclear deal. Saudi Arabia felt that its issues with Iran and, it, and the threats that it faced from Iran were much greater than its, any political capital it was getting from continuing to be against Israel all the time and be incredibly belligerent, belligerent towards Israel. And so they decided to work together with Israel, especially on military and intelligence projects, which, of course, has only increased since 2015. But when Israel made it clear that they had basically made the F-35 even more of a dominant potential weapon this was four years ago, in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia had a, yet another reason, a very, very solid, tangible, military, tactical reason to continue this rapprochement, or whatever you want to call it, with Israel. And also to improve its relations, already you know, relatively good relations with the United States. Now, those relations took a dip during the Obama administration, mostly because of the Iran nuclear deal policy that the Iran, uh, Obama administration was following. But obviously, Saudi Arabia had fantastic relations with both of the Bush administrations, 
pretty good with the Clinton administration and with the Trump administration, it's been probably better than ever. Again, because of the Trump administration's pushing back on the Iran deal, taking the U.S. out of it, and also because the U.S. is certainly facilitating any Israeli-Saudi cooperation. As many of my friends and very knowledgeable friends you know, like to point out, and I, and I don't want to be too much A of a downer and too much of a Pollyanna about this. I, whenever I talk about the Saudi-Israeli relationship, I try to cut out a little time, and I'm going to do that here just for a second, to make it clear that we're not necessarily talking about a total cultural uh, kumbaya situation between Saudi Arabia and Israel. The Saudi Arabian culture is still incredibly repressive, incredibly uh, hostile towards non-Muslims and certainly to Jews and certainly to Israelis. Um, there has been some progress there, uh, and, that, and I don't want to not acknowledge that, so it's there. But it's very, very important to note that the, the partnership between Israel and Saudi Arabia, this relationship now is mostly based on, an, on a military expediency, and that's okay. That's okay. I, 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 I'm not poo-pooing that. I'm not looking down my nose at that at all, and neither should anybody listening to this. But for those who I th- – there are a number of people that, that I have been – reading over the past couple of years who seem to be taking this a little bit too far. Either they're ignoring the whole cooperation completely, which I think is the bigger problem, or there are some people who are, who are thinking that this is some kind of great friendship in the making. Hey, maybe it is, but there's no evidence of that really right now. So again, it's, it's important to remember this is a business relationship, a, uh, and I mean that in the, in the metaphorical sense. They're not really financially connected, although I think that's possible too. These are the kinds of partnerships that Israel and Saudi and countries like Saudi Arabia can get into. They can get into a military expediency deal. They can get into potentially some kind of financial deal. There are reports that Israel and Saudi Arabia may end up combining on some kind of tech hub uh, in the future. And that, again, that's fine too. But we should remember we're still dealing with massive, massive anti-Semitic sentiment in these countries, just like, for example, Egypt. You know, Israel and Egypt, I believe that their uh, diplomatic relationship, their business-like relationship over the last couple of years has improved tremendously because Egypt has become much more uh, realistic about the threat from Hamas, and they've been much more helpful to Israel in keeping Hamas down a little bit. Um, but you go on the streets of Cairo, you go on the street anywhere, you know, the, the, the population of Egypt is still incredibly anti-Israel, incredibly anti-Semitic. So you have to understand that we're, we're really taking small baby steps here and really in only one area. And that's, again, <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. It's better than nothing. I, 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 I'm a big fan of relative improvement. And I, I certainly would like to see more. But So I don't want anyone to think that I'm thinking this is a Pollyanna kumbaya moment. But the F-35 and its expanded capabilities, which the Saudis and other people have known about since 2015, has a, is a huge reason why this military expediency, this military partnership between Israel and not only Saudi Arabia, but all of the other Gulf countries that Saudi Arabia has a tremendous amount of influence over, Countries like the United Arab Emirates and Oman, and there's a number of other countries like this. Um, and that's why it's improved. And Egypt as well, because Egypt is getting a tremendous amount of defense funding from Saudi Arabia. So all of this had a, has a lot to do with this incredible weapon. Now, why is this news again this week? Because it, it, I'm not just saying this so that I can remind people that I talked about it four years ago and I talked about it last year. Because this week we got a fascinating series of confirmations of just how important the F-35 and its capabilities are and just how much of an effect it's already had on the Middle East in really tangible terms. And I've already talked to you about 
the, 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 how it's, it really improved and forced the partnership to, closer between Israel and Saudi Arabia. But what about Iran? What about the, the country that this partnership was based to, to counter? And what we learned this week from a Kuwaiti newspaper is that Iran's supreme leader, the supreme leader of Iran, again, and you've heard me say on Novak now in the past, I hate calling him the supreme leader, but that's his official title, so I'm going to give it to him, but I hate that title, supreme leader. It sounds a little, almost, you know, it sounds a little too much for anyone, but all right. Ali Khamenei, who is the supreme leader of Iran, he's been the, the, the real leader of Iran, the one with the most power since 1989, since Ayatollah Khomeini, his, his mentor, died. And we learned today from, for this week from a Kuwaiti newspaper, the Kuwaiti newspaper's name is Al Jarida, that Khamenei fired the head of the Iranian Air Force. His name was Brigadier General Fazad Ismaili. And he was fired because of something that I told you folks about way back in last year, July. Again, again, go back to the Nachum Siegel Network archives. I urge you to do so. July of 2018, when I talked about how the same Kuwaiti newspaper had published a report that really was believable, particularly among the countries in the Middle East. They all believed that there was a, that this story that was published in the Kuwaiti newspaper, that the Israelis had flown three of their, F, their tricked out, Longer stealth capacity F-35 jets that the Israelis had in March of 2018 had flown three of those jets to and from to Israel over Tehran and back without being detected. And again, because it was a Kuwaiti newspaper, Kuwaiti again, one of the, Kuwait, one of those countries completely under really Saudi Arabian control, uh, it was understood that the Saudis knew about this, that the Saudis were okay with this being reported. And, they, and, and, and in the initial weeks after the report, there were a lot of people thinking, well, maybe this is complete propaganda. Maybe this isn't true. Maybe the Saudis are just doing this to scare Iran. And back in July, when I told you about this report on, Nach- on the Nachum Siegel network on, on Novak Now, I did say, look, I, I happen to believe this story, but I understand those who don't believe it, but... The, po- the important point I was making ba- back a year ago was that most of the Middle East seems to believe it, and that's the most important thing. Most of the Middle Eastern countries seem to believe that report. But the funny thing that we found out this week is that one person who hadn't seen the report, not even back in July of last year when I was telling you folks about it, so I just want to let you know, you actually have better intelligence uh, briefings from me than Ali Khamenei, because what we found out this week is that Ali Khamenei, the supreme leader of Iran, the country who most needed to know about this stealth mission by the Israelis, didn't know about it. That Ali Khamenei was kept in the dark by this guy who's now fired, General Ismaili. He was kept in the dark for a year. He didn't really learn about this stealth mission that the Israelis had done over Tehran with those F-35 jets until March or so of this year, 2019. So, folks, you have a, what is that? That's an eight-month head start in intelligence briefings over the supreme leader of Iran. Not bad, right? This, you, you, there's an there's a added value. There's some real added value to listening to Novak now here on the no- Nachum Siegel Network. But according to this Kuwaiti newspaper... He did find out about it in March, and, and that spurred two things. One, the firing of this guy, Ismaili, as the head of the Iranian Air Force, who, who apparently knew about this and kept it a secret. And you can see, you can understand sort of why he kept it a secret. He, he, he knew he'd be in trouble for not having any defenses against a new Israeli and American weapon. But also, apparently, it had something to do with the change at the top of 
the most important paramilitary or military group in Iran, which is the Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the IRGC. And Khamenei also replaced the leader of that group. So just to sum up here, I want to make sure that we're following all the moving parts here. Um, I and a few others start noticing this incredible story in 2015 that the Israelis not only are going to get the F-35 jet from Lockheed Martin, this incredible stealth jet fighter, but they have already, even before the jet was in the air in Israel, doubled the stealth capacity of this jet, meaning that it can get to and from Iran. That's an important development. Then we find out in 2018 that, uh, according to Kuwaiti news reports, the Israelis indeed did fly this secret mission to and from, to Israel, to, to Tehran and back, without being detected, and that spurs even more cooperation between Israel and Iran's Arab Gulf enemies. And now we're learning that even the supreme leader of Iran didn't know about this secret mission until earlier this year, just about four months ago, and that spurred a bunch of important firings and changes of the guard in, Iranian, in the Iranian military hierarchy. And just to rub a little bit more salt in the Iranians' wounds, many of you may have seen a really interesting soundbite and clip with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel uh, again earlier this month. When, uh, you know, just this, this increased uh, antagonism and threats coming from Iran against the United States and Israel... Uh, as many of you know, Iran is really under massive pressure because of the increased sanctions, the, the United States pulling out of the Iran nuclear deal and increasing the sanctions. So Iran has become more belligerent in the hopes, and again, I've talked about this on a previous edition of Novak Now, that in the past, when Iran or other Islamist countries have attacked European countries, they've actually gotten what they wanted out of those attacks. Instead of being punished by Europe for doing that, they seem to make, it seems to make Europe give in quite often. Um, but the Israel and the United States don't want to give in. And just a few days ago, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was standing at an Israeli Air Force base with the Israeli F-35 jet standing behind him. And the Israelis have named their version of the F-35 the Adir. For those of you who remember from the Seder, the song Adir Who, it really means awesome. So the F-35 awesome <laughs> that the Israelis have have tricked out and made even more stealth. And of course, by the way, when, when Israel does this, the United States gets the technology also. For those who don't understand the, the great importance of the defense relationship between the United States and Israel and how much of a benefit it is to the United States, you know, we know that it benefits Israel, but for those who don't understand how much it benefits the United States, this is just one example. You know, the Israelis have shown the Americans basically how to double the stealth capacity <laughs> Of, of, of the most expensive weapon system in, the Amer in, in American history, th thereby adding the value to, adding value to that expensive weapons program. And then, you know, for, for those of you just financially talking about it, it actually lowers the cost. If you, can double, if you can double the capacity of something that's costing you X amount of dollars, then it's really in real cost, it's less, because you've now made this thing have even more value. So anyway, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu is standing in front of the F-35 Adir jets, and with a little smirk on his face, he says, you know, pointing to the jet, you know, Iran, we can reach you. You can't reach us. And pointing to that jet. And he wasn't, he didn't say we can reach you without being detected, but that's what he meant. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's just come to this incredible culmination point from four years ago, where we just heard these reports about the doubling of the stealth capacity, to 
finding out that Israel and Saudi Arabia were getting closer, to President Trump being elected and then quickly moving us out of the Iran deal, to the growing and tightening military and tactical partnership between Israel and Saudi Arabia, and how that has gotten closer and closer. Uh, because of, you know, again, because of a number of things, but not the least of which, not the least of which, this F-35 jet. To the point now where it's become an open secret that Israel can fly over Tehran undetected with this F-35. And how that has caused probably just as much panic and consternation in the Iranian military as the increased sanctions have caused onto the Iranian military. I mean, you've got the two heads of probably the two most important parts of the Iranian military establishment, the head of their Air Force and the head of the IRGC, the Revolutionary Guard Corps, who have been axed. The Air Force guy axed completely over the stealth mission that Israel flew, again, according to the Kuwaiti newspaper, in March of 2018. And the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps uh, leader who was replaced probably for part of that reason as well. Part of that reason as well, because I don't think that the Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei thought that the Air Force leader was the only one who knew about this. So this technological achievement by both the United States, Lockheed Martin, creating the F-35 in the first place, the Israelis then doubling its stealth capacity, along with the political changes in the world, not the least of which being the election of President Trump and, of course, moving out of the Iran deal, all of this has brought us to this point where Iran is even more desperate, where Iran is even more weakened. And thank God, a a shot hasn't been fired yet. The F-35 hasn't fired a missile into Iran. The Israelis haven't attacked Iran with a a bombing or anything else like that. They've attacked Iranian weapons that have been, been given to Hezbollah over in Lebanon. And we know also that the, throughout 2018 now, we are getting confirmation that the Iranians were shipping weapons to Hamas through the Sinai Desert, and with the help of Egypt and a few other uh, resources, the Israelis were bombing those truck shipments. I don't know if they got every single one of them, but that's another story that came out over the last couple of weeks that you should check up on. These are the kinds of things that, these are the kinds of stories that you, you kind of only hear on Novak now. I wish that weren't true. Again, I, I'm, this is not a promote Jake Novak uh, 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 um, endeavor here. The point here is that these are important, yes, exciting, but even if they weren't exciting, these are important stories that people should know about, and I'm trying to bring to a wider audience because I'm interested in them, and you should be too. So yeah, it feels very good that almost a year ago to the day, we're talking July 23rd, 2018, I did an entire Novak Now program on the Nahum Siegel Network about this, this development in the Middle East because of the F-35, and it's really, really gratifying that I and all the listeners of this program knew about this before the Supreme Leader of Iran did. I mean, that's awesome. <laughs> to, to use the word adir in English, that was awesome. That was super awesome. Now, there's been one other, I think, offshoot development of this that you should know about that I think is in a murkier waters right now as far as the reporting goes, because it's, it's hard. There's, there's a number of terms here that have to be defined, but it's an important story, another important story you should know about. So a colleague of mine at I-24 News, a French reporter named Christian Millard, reported just a few days ago that 
what appears to be dissident members or maybe members of the Iran, Iran's Re- Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the IRGC. I, I think these are people who are on the outs, who may have been intimates of the former leader of the IRGC who was ousted in April of this year, met with American representatives somewhere in Iraq. Now, the United States is denying this story, although the United States has been very interesting in the way that it denies this story from I-24 News and Christian Millard. It denies that it met with any Iranian officials. So, actually, to me, that's, that still means the story could very well be true, because these people, I think, are no longer officially, <laughs> to use the word officials twice, officially Iranian officials, <laughs> okay? I think these people probably are people who had power in the IRGC up until April of this year. Now they're malcontents, now they're dissidents, now they're thinking that, they're, that, they, have, that they better get back into power somehow. And they have reportedly met with some U.S. officials about trying to create some kind of a deal, uh, maybe to overthrow the existing government in Iran. I don't know. Uh, I would not expect the United States to confirm this story on any level, but especially if we're talking about some kind of secret plan to overthrow the government. But standing by the story is Christian Millard of I-24 News, who says very, very emphatically that some kind of a meeting like this did take place. And it does seem like that it included some people who at least used to be high-ranking officials in the IRGC. Again, that's the acronym for Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, or some people say Iran Revolutionary Guard Corps, but it's the same group. But apparently one of those formerly powerful officials was the grandson, is the grandson of Ayatollah Khomeini, the the, the father of the Iranian Islamist Revolution movement. So... This could be a, very, a pretty big deal if, you know, if, if this really happened and also if they really got somewhere in this meeting. So a lot of denials there. But if these people are not officially still part of the Iranian government, then the American denial is actually not a denial of the meeting because the American denial says they didn't have a meeting with you know, current Iranian officials. So again, I, I think this is all an offshoot of a, a lot of different things, but man, it's really hard not to draw a line directly to the F-35 and the technology that it's brought to the region, the technology that it's brought to Israel and the United States. And its importance is really, really hard to overestimate. It is a massively important development in the history of the Middle East, in the history of military warfare. And again, it's nice that it hasn't had to be used, certainly not on, on, on civilian targets. The F-35 has, has been used by the Israelis in some of these attacks on weapons systems, weapons depots in Syria uh, that, that Hezbollah has that basically are, are Iranian uh, targets. And uh, there have been casualties in, in, in these attacks, but not of civilians. So it's kind of nice that this new weapon has come into play, and it's not like Star Wars where they had to blow up an innocent planet to make a point. You know what I'm saying here, folks? This is really, this, it's nice that, the, and, and, and you know, sometimes you have a weapon that's so powerful and so innovative that it doesn't have to be used. You know, the best example, of course, are, are nuclear weapons. You know, the United States dropped two atom bombs on Japan, so I'm not saying that's never been used. And, of course, there were a lot of deaths involved in that, but almost anybody who's honest in history will tell you that it's probably true that despite the horrific nature of those two atomic bomb attacks, it, it probably saved millions of lives because had there been a, a, the need to invade the home, the home islands of Japan, we probably would have been dealing with a total of a million deaths or more on both sides civilians and soldiers. So, you know, that's, that's a debate for another time, if you want to get into the minutiae of that debate, but I think overall we understand that really, really powerful weapon systems, if they truly are really powerful, they don't have to be used as much, and if they are used, 
they should be used in a way so that they still save lives based on a comparison to the other options, to the pre- you know, to a non-massive new weapon option. So this has already certainly happened with the, with the F-35. We, we have, I don't think there's been one civilian death involved with, with, you know, with an attack involved in it, and that's wonderful. And the Israelis have really changed the equation in the Middle East because of all of this. So unless you understand that this weapon has had a major, major role in things that are going on in the Middle East, you're missing a huge part of the story. And I know the F-35 has a lot of controversy attached to it. It's expensive. Uh, it's had some issues with its development. But in my opinion, and I think really it has to be an objective a conclusion that a lot of people make if they really know these facts, this is a weapon system that has been worth it already. I'm Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now on the Malcolm Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.